Hey, everybody. I'm Jen Garrett, and I've used my Move the Ball system to help thousands of people to think and execute like a pro athlete when it comes to business and branding. Now, I'm on a mission to help you utilize the same tools and strategies to elevate your hustle and get you across the goal line. So get ready. It's time to suit up, to show up, and to move the ball. Hey, everyone. Jen Garrett here. It's great to be back with you for another episode of Move the Ball. If this is your first time listening, welcome. And if you've been a part of the Move the Ball movement for quite some time, welcome back. I'm glad that you are here with us today. As you all know, on this podcast, we talk about business, branding, sports, and of course, how to move the ball. This episode is part of my special Behind the Pros trainer series, where I'm interviewing performance trainers who coach professional and college athletes, get players ready with workouts in the off-season and with combine-specific training, and who just help athletes to perform at a higher level. And I wanted to incorporate this series into the podcast because whether you're a pro athlete or an all-star player in the game of life, we all need coaches and trainers to help us advance, to move the ball, and to reach that next level, both on and off the field. Okay, for today's episode, I've got one of Southern California's finest trainers with me, someone who knows how to help athletes excel at the next level by training smarter and running faster. Inside the huddle with us today and ready to share his insights and his experience is Les Spellman. Les is the founder of Spellman Performance, and he has become known as one of America's elite speed performance coaches, training NFL and USA rugby players. Olympic bobsledders, NCAA athletes, and emerging high school and youth level kids across a variety of sports. He has trained well over 100 NFL athletes, including multiple first round draft picks, top five draft picks even, multiple Heisman Trophy winners, as well as many other elite athletes. And we will discuss that more on today's episode. Les, welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate this. This sounds great. I'm really excited. Well, I'm excited to have you on the show. You've trained guys that are friends of mine that have been on the show before. And so I'm just really glad that you're here with us as part of the series. And you're in Southern California. As you know, I have a house out there. How are things in San Diego this week? It's hot. It's really nice, though. It's um, perfect weather. It feels like summer still. So still enjoying the nice weather and the you know, late nights with the sun out. So it's great. Oh, that's awesome because, yeah, here in Chicago, ball is here. The weather is turning. It's getting a little bit cooler. So, uh, yes, uh, pretty soon it's going to get cold. So I'll take the the warm weather as long as I I can get it. And so where I want to kick off our conversation, as a podcast host, I'm always thinking about what's the first thing that I want to talk to a guest about on the show. And as I was thinking about that for our conversation, I really wanted to start off the discussion about a very impactful moment you had in your life, one that one that really shaped your future and what you're doing today. And why I want to lead off with this is I think for many of us, as we look at our life's journey, there's been a moment or some event that's really kind of shaped and influenced our future path. And my listeners know, for me, my dad's very unexpected passing is what made me walk away from the corporate world and everything that I had been building to go all in on growing the Move the Ball brand and the movement and the podcast is just one part of that. So can you tell us what was that moment for you that really changed your life? When I was 17, I got in a really bad car accident and I broke my femur in half. And essentially up until this point in my life, I was a very mediocre athlete. I, I used to tell my mom I wanted to play sports in college and she was like, well, you better <laughs> better get good grades because there's no way you're getting a scholarship. And the truth is like I was 
you know, I put in half effort, didn't really see myself being successful as an athlete, didn't understand what it took to become an athlete, didn't understand training. You know, I played pickup basketball and things like that to stay in shape, but I never really dedicated myself to improving as an athlete. So when I was 17, I got in this really, really, really bad car accident. And what happened was we were traveling about 85 miles per hour and we were getting off on an exit and the car skidded into the on-ramp, like those little yellow bins that carry sand and prevent cars from actually hitting the concrete. And what happened was our car smashed into that and it split the car in half. And I happened to be on the side of where the impact was. And it broke my leg literally in half, snapped my femur, got airlifted to the hospital, get to the hospital. I'm, I'm in shock, still awake. Doctors are like, look, like you're pretty close to potentially losing your leg. You're losing a lot of blood. We got to rush you into surgery. So I go into surgery. I come out, wake up, still have my leg. Doctor comes in. He's like, look, Les, you broke your femur really badly, split it in half, tore a lot of muscle tissue, but we repaired it. That's the good news. And we put a pole down the middle, took your bone marrow out, drilled a hole, stuck this metal rod in there, and basically took two screws at the bottom, you know, close to your knee and close to your hip and fasten it in there and that's the good news the bad news is you're not going to be able to run you're going to walk with the limp the rest of your life you're going to be in pain but we saved your life and we saved your life so good luck to you so i take the news in and i'm like all right it is what it is like i'll be in a wheelchair for a little bit i'll figure it out and somewhere down the line i was like you know i can't accept this as reality i'm going to figure out a way to actually make my body work again i'm going to make myself run again i'm going to walk again. I'm going to do everything I, I used to do. So I set out on this path. You know, first step was getting rid of all the pain medications. And I was like, I'm going to feel every bit of this journey. I want to remember this because this is going to be something that shifts my life. Long story short, it took me six months to really get up and get walking again. And the way I did it was every day my mom went to work. I wasn't in school anymore. I would just get up, try to stand up, walk myself to the bathroom, get a glass of water, little things like that, little benchmarks. That turned into walking down the street, which turned into walking around the block, which turned into walking a couple miles. And eventually I was like, wow, I've actually achieved something I didn't even think I could achieve. And it's funny because my mom caught me one time and she's like, what are you doing? She didn't even know I was walking yet. And it surprised her. She's like, how are you doing that? And I was like, just a little bit every day, a little bit every day. And the funny part is I was sent an occupational therapist that basically would come in. He would basically like how to operate as a injured person, or I would say as a handicapped person, because that's kind of how my situation was. And I would just kind of like play it cool, like do what he said. But when he left, I would really do my own work. But the, what it taught me was a process of progression, a process of continual stimulus in the body to maintain a certain quality or to improve a certain quality. So six months to walking, 18 months to running. It took me 18 months to go from wheelchair, friends walking me around the block to running. And when I say running, it was like very, very, very slow running, but it took me 18 months. And the way it happened is I got in a rhythm of walking, got in a rhythm of boxing, got in a rhythm of like moving around, but I still had this mental block against running. I was reading like a couple books, like one was Lance Armstrong. Uh, another one was called The Peaceful Warrior. And the Lance Armstrong book, like you can say what you say about him, but he had some determination to get out there and, and, and try again. And then the Peaceful Warrior book was about a gymnast who broke his femur and ended up going to the Olympics. And I was like, you know what? I could do this. Four o'clock in the morning, January 28, 2009, I woke up and I ran for 90 minutes. 
and it wasn't very but I ran 90 minutes and I was like, okay, cool. From that point, I ran every single day. So for six months straight, I'm running every day, every day, every day. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to try to enter a race. So I entered a 10 mile race and I ran, it was, it's called the Broad Street Run in Philly and ended up running a six minute mile pace for 10 miles. I was shocked. I was like, oh my God, I can actually run. Kept going, kept going. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to walk on to a track team division one. I never ran track before. I was fast in high school, but I, I knew nothing about track. I never run track before. So I went into the track office at Temple University where I was going to school and I told the coach I wanted to run. He was like, cool, send me your times. So I was like, I don't have any times. I never ran before. Essentially just bothered him for 10 days straight and said, hey, look, I'm going to be on this team, whether you like it or not. Like I'll just keep showing up. And he gave me a tryout and the tryout was a four mile run against the cross country team. And essentially he was like, look, if you can hang with these guys, like I'll put you on the team as a probationary period and let you kind of like learn a little bit, whatever. So I went out with that team. I came in dead last, like three or four minutes behind the last guy did awful. And coach was like, all right, cool. We'll come the next day. He just wanted to see if I had heart. That's how I ended up on a division one track team. Literally from breaking my leg to walking on division one track team. It was like 22 months. Wow. Well, I love, there's a few things I love about your story. And it reminded me about something that Tom Brady has said. And he said, you know, too often in life, well, we have the choice. You can either accept a situation as it is, or you could choose not to accept that situation. And too often people just accept it and they don't do anything about it. But you really realize like, okay, this is what the doctor told me. And I'm not going to accept that I'm going to be in a wheelchair that I might not ever run. And you took action and you did something about it. And you had that, you know, grit, that grind that I'm going to do something every day, little bit, you know, as much as I can to continue to improve and to get to the outcome that I want to get to. And I think it's an amazing accomplishment. So kudos to you to be able to have recovered, to have ran in 18 months, and then to have made it on to Temple's track team. It's a D1 school, obviously great school. And just, I mean, just a determination. It's very inspiring. So I appreciate you sharing that story with us. And so talk to us about how did you get from being a D1 track athlete to saying, you know what, I think I'm going to go into coaching and training other athletes after college i set out to understand okay what actually makes people fast number one and number two now that i know what those things are that make you fast how do i train that how do i put that into a plan to make someone actually fast how do i group those two things together and what happened was i ended up playing rugby post-college and i got into the olympic development program which took me to the olympic training center I wasn't a very good rugby player at all. I happened to be somewhat athletic, but I wasn't good. I get to the Olympic Training Center. I never really stick on the team, not really good enough. But when I'm at the Olympic Training Center, I'm around some of the best biomechanists in the world. So I'm around Ralph Mann, who's number one biomechanist and sprinting in the world. Dan Paff is a great coach. And I start to listen and start to see what they're doing. What they're doing is such a high level that it takes me like a dictionary to understand what they're doing. And then second... They have all these devices, they have force plates, they have videos, they have all these things that they use to develop speed. And I was like, you know what, like, this is really cool, but it's not practical. I can't take this and I can't coach. So as I become a coach, like I get essentially asked to intern with the team for USA Rugby, come on and become a speed coach. And I'm like, I have these really awesome concepts from these really smart people, but I can't apply them to my environment. So I need to find a way to dumb this down. And I ended up developing a process essentially where I took the main concepts of the very, very, very high level stuff 
and found a way to implement them into an elite environment. And then I took that into a youth environment. So I kind of found the gaps, I feel like, in the model of teaching sprinting. So getting away from just get stronger, just get flexible, and then you run faster. I wanted to find something that was directly correlated to running fast. So when I read your bio, I mentioned that you've trained all kinds of athletes, Olympic athletes, a ton of college people, NFL guys, you know, first round draft picks. Talk to us about what are some of the things that you do with these guys and ladies to help improve their speed, their performance, and to get them prepared for that next level. The number one thing in getting anything better is to assess where you're at. So it's hard to assess performance and sprinting. So if you look at the way that people have assessed sprint performance, it's like, okay, let's do a 40-yard dash, or let's time you to a certain extent, whatever it is. The problem with those types of methods is you and I could both run a 4-7-40, but the way we got there is significantly different. So there's one camp that says, hey, you need to get your technique better. There's another camp that says you got to get stronger. Both are true. But the problem is that there's not anything previously where we could say, okay, we're really, this is how we're assessing you from an individual level. So there's two things that really make someone fast. It's their ability to apply force into the ground and their ability to reach a high velocity. So when I talk about force, I'm talking about the ability to hit the ground hard enough to produce a forward momentum. And, you know, what we call that, that initial phase of a sprint is called acceleration. So it's a change in velocity. So I want to know how fast can you change velocity? So there's athletes that are very good at changing the velocity very early that may not reach a high velocity at the end. And there's athletes that may not change their velocity much in the beginning, but reach a super high velocity. So those two athletes have two different needs and two different requirements. So the first thing that I do with these high level athletes, even down to the youth level, is see what is your ability to change your velocity? What is your ability to have a high acceleration in the beginning of a run? And then how high of a velocity do you reach towards the end? And then I tailor my programs essentially to target their weakness while maintaining their strength. So if you look at like the way a lot of people coach and the way a lot of you know systems are set up is like they don't really want to target your weakness. So they, they want to enhance your strength. And there's some truth to that. But in running, if you want to improve your running, your weakness is usually the thing that we want to target so that we can kind of balance out your qualities. So there's a, there's a couple athletes that I've worked with that have incredible technique but horrible physical quality. And there's a couple athletes that have great physical quality but horrible technique. So there's different paths that each of these athletes need to take to get to that single goal of running faster. Interesting. I appreciate you sharing that. And so you've coached and trained a lot of high-profile athletes such as Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, Joe Burrow, Elijah Molden, who was on the show. And I love seeing Elijah out there on game day. So excited for him this season. But what is it about these guys that really makes them elite in your mind? A lot of people think there's a massive separation between Trevor Lawrence's and Zach Wilson's and the regular population. And the truth is there's not. What I noticed, especially guys like Elijah, is that they have a re relentless approach to how they look at their training. So they don't just go out and train. They train with intent and they train very specifically on whatever they think they need to work on. So Elijah was like, I want to get faster. We defined what is getting faster. And then we said, okay, let's target this. And then we know that Elijah is going to go out and do all the extra things we, we need him to do. In fact, we got to pull him back a little bit. But if you look at across the board, Trey Lance, Zach Wilson, Trevor, they're gifted in something. 
but they have a relentless work ethic. We see a lot of athletes that are gifted that don't have a work ethic and they don't pan out. And what we've done is we've kind of targeted and isolated, like, what are the certain qualities you want to have and athletes that we bring into our environment? We want to make sure that our environment supports those types of athletes. And those, those athletes are the athletes are going to do a little bit extra. They're going to want to know their analytics. They're going to want to know some of their weaknesses. Like, an athlete that can take feedback and take criticism, we know it can survive in that environment. Whereas in the beginning, I was kind of like, hey, everybody come. What happened was we get this number one, number two guy and say, hey, look, these are the 15 things that you're bad at and we're going to work on this. And they'd be like, ah, their confidence would be hurt a little bit. And the truth is, it's like athletes that are willing to take that feedback and take that criticism. They're going to go so much further than the athlete that's like, you know, I just want to be told I'm great, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely that desire to take the feedback, to look at how you can improve. It's not just, Hey, you're already at that top level. Keep doing you. It's about where can I improve? It's the little things, the details matter, especially playing at the professional level. And, uh, and so I completely agree with you. It's those little things and always being willing to be coachable and to take feedback from people is what helps people to excel, not just on the field, but also in life in general. So a couple of things I want to chat about before we wrap the show. And so I know that uh, you've got this universal speed rating system that you've developed. So talk to us a little bit about that. And then you also have a podcast. I know you're on a break from releasing new episodes, but you've got a wealth of information already out there that people can go check out. So tell us about both of those things. Essentially, like what I'm talking about when it comes to assessing speed and getting more granular on the performances is somewhere down the line, I was like, look, we're doing this for the elite athletes, and that's great. And there's 40, 50 guys we might see a year at that level. But there's millions of kids that have the aspirations of playing at the next level that may not have the resources, may not have the ability to get to us or the finances to get to us. But what I wanted to do with the universal speed rating was basically create something that every athlete could tap into, every athlete could be a part of. Number one, assess their speed. And number two, figure out ways to get faster. So we developed a software, and the software... What it is, is it gives you a rating of what your speed is. There's a hardware piece connected to it as well, and it's a GPS unit. So essentially what a GPS unit is, is it measures your speed while you're running. So anywhere, anybody in the world can connect using a GPS unit, connect to our platform and see where they rank speed-wise against all the athletes we have in our database, which is like tens of thousands, probably over 100,000 by the time this releases. So. It's an ability for any athlete, let's say a kid in Florida, can wear our unit, play a game, practice, train, do whatever, go and assess his speed. How many runs did you do? How much volume did you do? How fast did you run? How does that compare to a kid in Texas that's training? So basically what I want to do is level the playing field and give athletes access to what the best in the world are doing. If you look at an NFL game, they're tracking their speeds and they're posting their speeds. We're tracking this at the highest level, and this is like super high analytics. And I'm like, honestly, it's not that hard to do. Like, let's develop something where everybody can do that. And that's what the universal speed rating is doing. And then our podcast, like, essentially during COVID, I was like, I need to get some of this stuff out of my head. And I want to show people that training at elite level is not complicated. It's you're doing a lot of really, really, really basic things really well. But I wanted to simplify it and give people that may have like a population of five to 10 athletes or a population of 100 athletes. I want to give them access to this information. And coming up when I was, when I was learning, there was a lot of firewalls to getting information. I felt like if I was wanting you to pay them or do a mentorship or 
it was like, dude, I'm, I'm poor. Number one, I'm living out my car. I can't go pay $1,500 for a seminar to go learn your stuff. Like, is there something basic I can learn? So what I wanted to do is for coaches, I wanted to level the playing field. And the whole point of it, it's like, I'm in this business to help people. I'm in this business to make people better. I should be giving out as much information that I have as possible because other coaches are going to use that information to make their populations better. And, you know, in the end, like it'll come back. Like universal speed rating will have ways that you can tap in and you can monetize this and all that. But right now, I want to level the playing field in terms of what the information is because there's a lot of bad information out there about speed. Running your toes or do calf rate. Like there's a lot of different opinions that are very old school and archaic where there's PhD level guys in strength conditioning, but up until recently, there wasn't a lot of PhD level guys in sprinting. And you look at even the elite teams where they thought sprinting and speed training was really like a conditioning thing. Like it's not very targeted and it's not looking at different phases. So I felt like there was a huge gap between what the regular population knew and what some of the higher level people knew. And I felt like that needed to bridge first before you even go out in the market and come out with a product. So I spent a year total really going in depth on every single thing that I could, just giving out everything that I learned so that the playing field would be level. And by the time we released Universal Speed Rating, there's some like understanding of what we're doing before we actually get into it. So that was the whole process of, of those two things. Oh, I love that. And I have all of your social links and we'll have them in the show notes so people can check you out on any of those social platforms and listen to your podcast, watch your videos and learn more about what it is you do and the great knowledge that you're passing on to others out there. So what I want to do less now is take you through my two minute drill, just to ask you some fun questions to end the show. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. All right. The first question is when you were 10 years old, what did you want to be when you grew up? 10 years old, I wanted to be an NBA player. How about who would play you in a movie about your life? Michael B. Jordan. That's a great choice. Next question is, what is your favorite vacation spot? Favorite vacation spot is actually Martha's Vineyard. Oh, that's very pretty. Yeah, love it there. How about what is your favorite ice cream flavor? And don't tell me you don't eat ice cream. I don't eat ice cream. Oh, no. <laughs> but if I had a favorite flavor, chocolate or brownie mix. That's a good one. My next question is, what is a pet peeve of yours? Late. I cannot stand. I can't even operate with people being late. Well, I hear you. All right. How about what book are you currently reading or what podcast are you currently listening to? I'm actually going through a financial freedom course from Dave Ramsey right now, which is nice. So it's like getting debt free and investing. So that's what I'm learning right now. On the performance side, I'm going through a lot of Damien Harper's work and he's the first PhD deceleration to learn basically the opposite of what I'm doing. I'm, I'm teaching a lot of acceleration going forward. We're teaching a lot of breaking courses. So I'm spending a lot of time going through that right now. Oh, interesting. I'll have to check him out. And my last question is you're hosting a dinner party and you can invite three famous people, living or deceased. Who would you choose and why? Muhammad Ali, for sure. I would definitely kick it with Michael Jackson for a little bit. And then Jay-Z is like one of my favorite humans on, on earth. So if I kick it with Jay-Z or Barack. All great choices. And so Les, as we look to close the show, let people know. I mean, obviously I'm going to have all the social links in the show notes for people to learn more about USR, the podcast, you, but if there's a place that you want people to go to just follow you on your journey, what would that place be? Where would you say they could go to? It's a good entry point is uh, Instagram. 
best seven found me. That's kind of the hub. And you can see all my links to website, Norse Speed Rating, Twitter, everything, LinkedIn. But Instagram is definitely like the hub for most of those things. And then kind of goes from there. I would say like most of the people understand what we're doing through Instagram and then figure out what's the best route for them. Perfect. And we'll again have those in the show notes so people can connect with you, learn more from you and follow you and all the great things that you are doing. So Les, thank you so much for being on the show today. It has been a pleasure hearing your story more and all the great things that you're doing. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. And thanks again to everyone for listening. If you liked today's episode, please share it with someone else who you think would find the show to be of value. And if you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. All right. Well, thank you all again for listening and we will talk to you next time. Until then, make sure that you suit up, you show up and you move the ball. Thank you for listening to Move the Ball. To see more about what I'm up to and how I can help you to move the ball, check out my website at www.getinsidethehuddle.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And also join the Move the Ball Facebook group for even more content and to be a part of the Move the Ball movement.